Welcome to The Real Estate Deal with Danny Brown. This week's episode is brought to you by The Optimist. The Optimist Men's Store is at the platform in Culver City off Washington. Everything you could imagine is there. The coolest shirts, pants, glasses, shoes, David and Joey that own it. They source the best boutique fashion from all over the world, whether it's from Rome or whether it's from London or Japan. They bring it all together, so it's a one-stop shop. I'm getting all my gear there. Please tell them that I sent you. So check it out, the platform. There's also a ton of cool restaurants and shops there as well. Hey, welcome back to The Deal with Danny Brown. We're doing our special series, The Real Estate Deal. This week's guest out of Destin, Florida, Jonathan Spears, the founder principal of the Spears Group. Northwest Florida, an incredible, incredible agent and uh, guy. Uh, it's like the Doogie Hauser of real estate, man. They did $250 million of volume last year. Uh, he's got an article in Inman uh, that just came out yesterday. You should check that out. This year, they're at the 250 mark halfway. Uh, very impressive. He does development, does sales. They have an eight-person team, super organized. Uh, great, great guy. I want you to enjoy this as much uh, as I did, but you can find him at... Uh, SpearsGroupFL.com or at Jonathan Spears on Instagram. Uh, fantastic guy, very inspirational, hugely successful, and wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the number one uh, agent in the country in the next couple of years. He's on that trajectory. But enjoy the episode as much as I did. Hopefully, you'll learn something. School is in session. Hey, welcome back to the Real Estate Deal with Danny Brown. I have an awesome guest today, all the way out from. Florida, Destin, Florida. Jonathan, welcome. Jonathan from, from the Spears Group. How are you, my man? Danny, I'm great. Glad to be here. Sunny, 80 degrees down here in Florida, so can't complain. Well, I've wanted to connect with you. I've watched your career uh, for the last few years. Your, your uh, associate, Brian, has been talking you up and talking a big game, and I've watched from the sidelines, and I think you've even surpassed the hype that he's been talking about, but your business has been bonkers. The uh, trajectory you've been on is is unbelievable. Uh, more than that, I've heard a lot of good things. I know you're a family man this, and have kids. and uh, You're in a very different market in Florida, Destin, Florida, which we'll get into. But at the same time, um, in terms of real estate, more now than ever before, there is so much synergy between Southern California and Florida, as even one of my good clients just bought a house in Coconut Grove. They sold their house here in the West Side. So there's so many people moving there. But let's get into it. Uh, you're a young agent. You're sort of the young Turk in Florida. You've taken off. Uh, but we'll get into your business in a little bit. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, are you Florida born and raised? So why don't we talk about where you were born and raised, where you went to school, the basics from the beginning? Yeah, so I got to hear Santiago on your show last week, and it was amazing to hear his story just growing up. I think it was Bolivia, but... Uh, you know, his, my, his migration is, is incredible. And for me, I always grew up in the exact same place that I was born. So it's kind of a unique story, but I've never left Northwest Florida in terms of living full time. Uh, we have houses in other parts of the U S that we go and visit more so for the weekend. But, you know, I was born and raised in Northwest Florida. And for most people like they'll go, where is Destin? Where is this 30A that you're talking about? Is it near Naples? You know, where, where is that? And I'm like, you know, it probably take me 11 hours to drive my car from Destin to Naples. So we're up in the panhandle. Uh, we live on a white sand beach, which is quite incredible. Uh, I'm biased, but I'd say it's one of the most beautiful beaches in the U.S., which is 
part of the reason why Southern California has been coming down here, especially since the pandemic hit, it's been quite the popular vacation spot. And we used to never, ever see those. You guys have the slickest, most beautiful license plate with a little California scribble on it. You know, when I see that driving around, I'm all, always excited. And then you'll see the juxtaposition of the New Yorker plate, which we also never used to have before the pandemic. And that yellow New York plate, you're like, oh, you know, you can tell who's more uptight in traffic. But um, you grew up in Destin or around Destin? I did. Actually, I've lived all over Northwest Florida. I would say I've probably been in 30 or 40 different houses. So growing up, my dad was a developer. We would move. We would, you know, typical story, live in a house, take the tax credit after every two years, build another. So as soon as we move in one, he'd start designing something else. So it was never real permanent, but it gave me a great perspective of our area that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So your dad is in the business. So you were raised in the business. Is he still active building and doing real estate? Yeah, he is. He's he's doing an incredible job. Um, in fact, we just sold one of his spec houses for almost $8 million. So I was very proud of him and big numbers, uh, honored to represent his product. I mean, I've noticed there's some big sales and not just in Boca and South Beach and Palm right. and like where you are. Are you seeing the $10 million plus sales? Yeah, we are. I mean, we've sold uh, multiple eight-figure homes. Um, this year, I mean, year to date, we've done almost a quarter billion in business and that's closed sales volume. So we're on track to do half a billion. And for this market, I mean, typically this is a two to two to two and a half billion dollar market. So, you know, to have 20 to 25% of the market share is pretty incredible. That's you uh -huh. and your group, it's which, just my which team, isn't yeah. 200 people. How many people are, how many agents are active in your group? So I've got eight, including myself. Um, I'd say there are eight. Yes, yes. That's a lot of business running through your shop. So yeah, you grew man. up in that area. Uh, makes sense that you grew up in the business, and that's probably why you you knew so much so young. Your dad's doing. Is your mom in real estate, or what does your mom do? My mom's a saint. That's what that's my mom does. She she put up with me. Are, right? Yeah, well, I've got a, a brother who's five years younger than me. He also works with Spears Group and um, is the only other one on the team that can that can wear that same Spears jersey. But um, he... Uh, they didn't tell him once you get in the first, check it out. Did Brian tell him that? <laughs> we missed that. We missed that part. Uh, but, she, you know, she focused on raising her kids. My dad's background was civil engineering and parlayed that into more of the development piece. But of course, like, and I remember hearing Santiago talk about this, 2008 came and, you know, we watched everything crash. I mean, I watched my parents go from uh, 100 miles an hour to bankruptcy. I mean, it was it was overnight, instant. And I, I feel very fortunate to walk through that when I did, because technically I was a minor. Um, you know, I'm 29 today. Uh, in 2008, I was just trying to get into college, which is kind of an interesting story. Um, I started college at 14 and I, my mom, my mom was dropping me off at college classes. I was called Doogie Hauser in class. And, you know, people would say, hey, Doogie. And I'd be like, I have no idea who that is. I've never watched Doogie Hauser. I was the millennial, had to get on YouTube to figure that out. So tell me about that. That's pretty incredible that you blew through high yeah. school pretty quick. I made my first major prospecting call, calling the dean of our local community college and basically saying, hey, listen, I'm homeschooled, I'm 14, but I'd like to start taking full-time college courses because I'm at an academic level and homeschool to dual enroll. Dual enroll program allows you to, to basically 
take high school and college classes at the same time, but typically you've got to be 16, but the state ends up paying for it, which is the brilliant part. Um, so they allowed me to take a Florida college placement test and the rest was history. Was your mom very involved with this? Is that what, what mom was doing? She, no, not necessarily. She was involved in the sense that she had to drop me off and pick me up, but I was very, very independent. Like if I could have just moved out of the house and, and hit the ground running, I would have, but at that time there was so much pressure. I mean, you think about, um, you know, I was hitting college when I, I remember vividly sitting in economics class and getting uh, an alert on my brand new iPhone that, you know, we were excited to have in our pockets. Uh, Lehman Brothers collapses. And, and to me, that was so shocking, you know, like being in business school, which is what I was studying at the time, you know, salespeople, they, they just, that was like the, the lowest levels of society. Business schools train you to be in a more corporate environment. And for me, like I knew that, you know, I wanted to take, uh, take hold of my future a little bit differently. And so my mom was, was great. She dropped me off. She picked me up the first two years. Um, I had an associate's degree by the time I was 16. So when I finally got my driver's license, I could drive myself to Florida State University and and uh, and do that. Florida State. Who knows, baby? I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You missed the good days with Dion back in the day when I was little. Oh <laughs> Dion Sanders prime time. <laughs> well, both my parents went to FSU. My mom's got a picture of her in Dion Sanders' jersey. And coincidentally, those guys used to all vacation here on our coast. Really? So yeah. incredible. So it sounds like you've, uh, you know, would you say you grew up fast from this experience? I mean, you obviously went through the education system fast and started your yeah. career at a very early age. But would you, was that, this, did your brother do the same thing? Were your parents uh, advanced academics? Like, how, what, what, how, speak to that. How did that, or were you just born a Doogie Hauser and just flew through school? I think for me, you know, I was really trying to figure out how do I get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. And, you know, the reality is I didn't really know what point B was. I just knew that when I looked around, I didn't always get along with people my own age. And uh, being thrown into college at that age, specifically 14, 15, a collegiate college that's uh, more on a small scale, you've got a variety of age groups. So I had um, you know, 20 year olds in my class. And I had 80 year olds in my class who were going back for an education for fun. And we were all grouped into the same projects. It was really an incredible opportunity to, to get to know um, different folks at, at different levels and to develop those types of networking skills where I got very comfortable talking to, to peers that were much older than me and leading them, especially. They would all look at me and go, hey, can you write this paper? I'm like, no, you, you're going to participate. And then I get there, I get their written work and I'd be like, oh my God, yes, I'm going to have to write this paper. <laughs> so you are way ahead of your time and ahead of your age in terms of going through the system and maturing. So once you were kind of getting through college, you were, yeah. you were 16, you were saying 16, 17. I was with, with my first two years. What's funny is I don't have a high school come again. What, what age were you when you finished college? You were younger than normal. It was the, it was the year I turned 19. So um, that, that semester, my last semester of college, I turned 19. Wow. So at this point, are you starting to think, okay, I want to race into a career? Like you race through college. Now are you thinking I got to get a race and get my career going and start making money and building a business? So what's interesting is in 2010, I was, that's the year I turned 18. I was at Florida State. 
Um, I remember my 18th birthday, I spent studying to get my real estate license. The reason that I was incentivized to get a real estate license was because my parents were getting ready to sell their house. And I said, you know what? I'd love to jump in on this. I'd like to learn. I'd like to understand this process. Um, and they were able to work a deal with the agent at the time to give me a referral fee and a little bit of an education. So I was very, very fortunate to, to get that experience in particular. And that's what motivated me to first get my license. Got it. So your parents were doing it. You jumped on the opportunity, got your teeth into it, and started learning the business through them. Uh, what a yeah. great opportunity that is. And then, you know, most kids at that age are still, you know, most kids even your age now are still into the partying and socializing. And, you know, yeah. that's a big part of the life. So did you just skip all that or were you doing both? Like what, what were you do? What was your social like life? Uh, you know, at 19, 20, 21 years old. And were you working and tug of war between my friends are all partying and I'm starting a business? What was that like? Yeah. Well, what's funny is, um, you know, I was kind of conditioned a little differently uh, in my earlier years. So my parents got hit head on by a drunk driver when I was five. My brother was three months old and um, I also have a younger sister, too, but she was not alive yet. And that was very formulative for me. You know, I realized, you know, drinking wasn't something that I wanted to do at all. To this day, I think I've maybe had three beers in my entire life. So it's just, I just, I love wine, but I, I just, I wasn't into the party scene. Uh, I was laser focused on building a business. And I knew that I wanted to not only integrate into real estate, but figure out how I could grow in that particular business. Um, and what was kind of interesting is my entrepreneurial mindset uh, kind of kicked in and, and I started to lean away from getting into sales in particular. So I started off working as an assistant just to get some basic understanding of the business. And at the time, I mean, it couldn't have been a worse time to actually work in real estate because foreclosures were the predominant sale that was transacting. Uh, and that's what I ended up working for was a foreclosure firm that was churning out lots of inventory, but a very low level. So very different process than high end laundry. Yeah. Couldn't be more polar opposite. It's much more difficult. I mean, truly, that that whole process. I had to meet people. You know, I drive an hour to get wet signatures in blue ink to overnight to the housing and urban development department uh, in order to try to, to to do a deal. And that was just to make an offer. You know, now we have DocuSign. It takes me two seconds. My assistant sends it. DocuSign just saved us. Sucks. It saved my business. It was just made the business so much more enjoyable to not be bogged down. DocuSign is just yes. incredible. I should have bought stock before the IPO. I don't know why. My I'm God, I know. I know. idiot I was. All right, so now let's talk to, uh, let's walk through the progression of your business. I, I get the picture now. You were sort of a, a very rare breed of hyper-focused young man that was really driven. You had maybe some personal trauma that also influenced you to kind of get away from what most young people were doing and even give you more motivation to focus your energies elsewhere. Your parents were in real estate, so they gave you an entree to this world. Uh, at that age, that, there's not too many opportunities where you can go make big money at 20 years old, 21. So now talk to me at the beginning of your career and you got through, you were working in foreclosures. I'm sure you were getting beat up because that's a horrendous churning market. Uh, when did you start uh, evolving into w what you're doing today? Like wh what was sort of the, the crossroads and turning point where you went from, I'm a young guy hustling, doing everything, doing foreclosures to, oh, I'm now 
going to start building a real business in the luxury market. What's interesting too, um, I wasn't making a lot of money in the early days. I was on a $400 a week fixed salary doing broker price opinions for banks. And I probably worked 70 to 80 hours solid doing that, but I got the education and that's what was incredible about it. Invaluable education. Oh my God. I wouldn't change it for the world. I, you know, nobody else could have even possibly paid for that. So that's important. Uh, There's a lot to be said about those sort of opportunities, working for free for the right experience or working for very little money. If you're in the right place and you get an education, that's invaluable long-term. I remember Barbara Corcoran said that some of her best salespeople had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. It was a difference between somebody making a million dollars a year in New York City and seven, eight million dollars a year. And I always kind of kept that with me. So anytime I've got any type of adversity uh, or a team member of mine has some adversity, I really encourage them, look inward, figure out how this is fuel for your fire, whatever it is, you know, focus on overcoming that piece. And I think that was that's what fueled me through those long hours. You know, I knew that I was heading somewhere. I didn't quite know exactly where. And for me too, like today, my business is solely focused on the luxury end of our market, not only here, but in other parts of the US. And I wanted to learn as much as I could about the process so that I could be an advisor role as opposed to just some salesperson trying to sling the next million dollar deal. Uh, I ended up working for that foreclosure firm for about five years. And when I started out producing the individual that I was working for, uh, I realized that I needed to make a change. And I was being recruited slowly but surely by Sotheby's International Realty. They had just entered our market. They were really the first global firm in our market. Um, you know, we like, for instance, we're, I say we're so small, but we don't have a compass in our market. You know, it doesn't exist here. Um, we need to change but, that. <laughs> you've got a great affiliate in Ty Stockton, who is a very good friend of mine and just affiliated in Vail. Um, he was formerly with Sotheby's and we, we love Ty and his team. But going back to 2015, I transferred over uh, in a, a more of a sole proprietorship. So I became a single agent with Sotheby's, was no longer part of a team. Um, and really, I'd, I'd say I got thrown to the wolves because I was coming from such a reactive place. Uh, this foreclosure factory, I mean, you forward the phones to my cell phone, I'd get 50 phone calls a minute. I mean, literally, I couldn't keep up. I was constantly returning phone calls. And then I go to this deafening silence of, hey, you got, you got to make your phone ring, especially, hey, look, you're, you're getting away from the transactions that occur constantly. And you're going to focus on transactions that, you know, they're, they're once a month, maybe. And now you're competing with a much larger pool of people. How are you going to be the one, especially at your young age, you look like you're 12. So that was the feedback I get from people when I show up to showings. You know, how do you overcome this? Yeah, I mean, that's funny because I, I recall and I started when I started, I was in my late 20s. I was your age now, and I, I was getting the, you look so young then. Uh, so I can't imagine being in my early 20s or mid-20s, and you're trying to compete with veterans that have done it for so long and are so savvy, and you're trying to break in. So, okay, that's a really interesting pivot. Let's talk about those early days and those early challenges. 2015, it sounds like. You're now at a big brand, Sotheby's. You're now dropped and competing with the big boys. What was it like? That's deafening silence sounds like a pretty uh, pretty good description for most brokers because there's always those times, and we try to avoid them as much as possible. There's always those times where like all of a sudden 
the market seems to screech, no phones are ringing, no incoming calls, no listings, and you feel like, man, am I ever gonna sell a house again? And when you start your business in the luxury, that's what it is for a long time too. So I'm just curious, what were some of the challenges you faced? And if there's any like stories or examples of things that, that you can remember in those first few years as you were trying to build up your luxury business. But for you, it actually, fortunate enough, you took off pretty quick uh, and haven't looked back. But those first few years, I'm sure there was plenty of getting kicked in the teeth and disappointments and failures and, and all that. Yeah, I mean, your your whole career is basically built on disappointments, right? Sure. The high lows of real estate. I tell my team, we want to stay as even keel as we can. When you're at the high, high, you can enjoy it for a second, but don't allow yourself to go low, low. Um, and a lot of that is systems and processes, which we'll get into. But for me, I had no concept of systems and processes. I was the biggest micromanager. I had to do everything. Uh, I had no assistant coming into Sotheby's. I'd sold 24 million, uh, I think the year prior, I was 22 and coming into, yeah, yeah at, at the time, especially, um, you know, the number, the production numbers have changed so drastically based on the market increases. But, um, you know, coming into Sotheby's, I had something to prove. I was this young kid in the office. Uh, I remember they gave me the biggest, this was the, the craziest and they gave me the biggest office space because they were about to cut it up into like six or seven cubicles. But at the time I got the biggest office space. So that silence was about as loud as it could possibly be. Right. Big office. You're like, Nothing going on. Yeah, ex exactly. Well, what happens when, what happens when things are quiet is you start to realize that you are the one who makes your business run. Like even, you know, I'll talk to some of my agents and they'll go on vacation. They're like, I'm shutting my phone off. I'm on vacation. And then when they come back, they go, oh my gosh, why, you know, why did everything stop? I'm like, well, you know, when you turn your machine off, it may take a second to start back up. Um, you know, it's like a combustion engine. And so for me, I had to retool and, and restart my machine. I, I went from, you know, having a skill set as a buyer's agent, being reactive, going to show people property to now I've got these incredible tools that Sotheby's offered that I can leverage on the listing side. And I, I understood the, the market and the way that it transacted based on all those BPOs that I did. I would gravitate to the hot sheet. I always tell my agents, become obsessed with your hot sheet, especially in today's market where there's no inventory. Um, you know, now I become obsessed with whisper listings and paying attention to what's going on that may never hit the hot sheet. But um, I would tool it from top to bottom. So I knew the most expensive deals that were happening in the market and I would find opportunities to talk about that. So um, just picking up the phone, providing value. I mean, that that reacted to proactive stage was the most difficult transition for me, mainly because I had to get uncomfortable. Like I'd never cold called a day in my life. And I know you guys, Brian especially has told me this, like y'all have, um, you know, the, the most confidence in LA where you can go and door knock right? Like I'm in a second home market, you know, the people that own the most expensive real estate spend two weeks a year here. So the opportunity to actually bump into them in the community is very, very rare. Uh, yeah, not that many people are door knocking. Some people are the, the ones that have done it consistently have done well, but there's a few legendary door knockers in LA that have done very well, but it's, that's a very tricky thing. But um, what's interesting from what I'm getting from this is, and this is a good point for people building their business. So you didn't have a massively huge business, but you certainly took the time to get knowledgeable and educated. And what is really interesting, what I love, because it's something I've always done, is you became very aware 
uh, of the, the, the hot properties or the big sale properties and looked for opportunities to engage people to speak about it before you had the listings. You didn't have the listings, you may not have had the buyers, but you knew the data and you were able to articulate it. And in real estate, if you're social and getting net and networking, which you really need to do if you're gonna make it at a high level, the opportunities to have conversations do come up. And it sounds like that was really smart uh, for you and that's something that sort of got, once you start doing that, you probably built credibility with people and then they start thinking of you and then over a long period of time doing that, you become the expert that someone wants to say, hey, list my house, or hey, I need to find a house, I'm coming to you. Um, so tell me, when was your first listing where you're like, wow, I've got a big listing now? Was, was it 2015, was it 2017? When was that time where you're like, oh my God, I got a really legit big listing? Well, I didn't waste any time in 2015. And, and also to your point on listings in general, something that Zillow, you know, Trulia, whatever, Realtor.com, all these third party sites, one thing they can never offer up to a prospective seller who's looking to price their property accurately are the stories and the reasons and the understanding of why things transact. All the nuances. <laughs> All the nuances. Real estate is so micro. I mean, even here, I operate in a 40 plus mile radius. So it's pretty large and every mile is completely different. Um, exactly. And people don't get that. You know, a lot of people do, but then a lot of savvy, wealthy, powerful people do get that. And I always say it's so funny. I have some of my wealthiest billionaire family office clients are the ones that are like always wanting me to pay pay full commission want to never cut me out always want to bring me involved they're like because i know that little bit of nuance information is so valuable and then vice versa you'll get the people that are just chipping or chipping away and it's like you don't get that you're you know you're not getting any of the real the real info by looking at zillow and redfin it's it's pointless well, no, exactly. It's pointless. But, you know, there's that stray seller that believes they can do it themselves, especially in a market today. But like you said, your savviest sellers are the ones that that look towards the top agents of the market because they understand why the market's transacting. It's not really what what anybody can get a hold of. It's the why. The why is I mean, I've got an appointment after this. And he wants to talk about the why. Um, but going back to big listings. So 2015. So you start getting them right away. I, I was all about, I mean, that's all I focused on. And to, even to this day, my, my placement at Spears Group is focused on listing and inventory creation, uh, both on the development side and, um, you know, a customer focus side. But 2015 was one of my best years ever from a prospecting standpoint, because I made relationships that year that like, for instance, that there's a relationship I built um, by cold calling a developer. I, I saw this insane house he was building. I, I go in the backyard of this magnificent structure and it's only being framed. And when I get to the backyard, it looks like not only the Garden of Eden, but the biggest pool. I mean, the pool is as big as a parking lot. Like I felt like I was, you know, at, at some Playboy mansion. Yeah. I was like, is this a condo? What is this? It's, it was a house. And I called the developer and I just said, Hey, listen, my name's, you know, Jonathan Spears. I just saw what you're building. It's unbelievable. Um, may I show this? Like, I know it's not listed. Is there a number in mind that you have for this property? And I was able to get a warm introduction to, to this individual. So it wasn't completely cold. But um, for me, that was 
not only one of the best relationships I ever made, but uh, one, one of the most interesting. I ended up, he gave me a number that was completely nuts at the time. And uh, I ended up selling that house for him um, off market, no photos, at frame, at a time that homes did not transact at this price point. I think it was just under $4 million. Um, and still never met the guy. Ended up selling the house next door for him as well for $4 million that same year. And this, this individual has become one of my business partners and very good friends. And we've done you know, $100 million together just in the last six, seven months. He's building the biggest spec houses in the market that I've kind of helped him purvey. So we were able to grow together, but it would have never happened had I not picked up the phone and pursued him. And not only did I pursue him, I pursued him because I loved his inventory. I was so impressed by it. Um, and still to this day, I am. His name's Ben Giles. And all right, um, ben. Ben's killing it. What what percentage of your business would you say is new development versus resale? Yeah, for me personally, um, it's around 50% new development. So sh strong. Um, and by new development, I'm focused on new development of single family homes. Uh, right now, we're in the process of developing the most expensive homes in the Northwest Florida market, uh, which will be coming to market at 20 million a piece. Wow, you got some 20s. Wow. Everybody I've shown these houses to, you're going to love this. They're all from Beverly Hills. Right. They're probably people <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So, I mean, and it's people who they've never been in this market before they get, they arrive and they're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is a sweet tea, fried chicken, like laid back culture. We call it the Hamptons of the South or New York Times did, but, um, you know, it's been fun to, to introduce quality inventory to this market. So what does that $20 million house look like? How big, how much land, I imagine beach frontage, I assume. Yeah, so you're on probably a 60 by 500 foot deep lot. So you've got a lot of depth. The width on the ocean is only 60 linear feet, but they use every inch of it. Um, the homes themselves are just over 8,000 square feet. So you're looking at $2,200, $2,300 a foot. Wow, those are um, LA prices. I know. Well, our our inventory is is definitely catering to an LA crowd. But like for example, the the LA folks that I've met here, they still think it's pretty underpriced, comparative to the quality of the naturalistic surroundings. Um, I, when we get off this call, I'm going to send you a little link from these homes that are being built. They're pretty spectacular. Uh, but but you know, most families who come here, our primary wealth profile is looking for a multi generational household. So. Um, usually grandparents who are purchasing a home that their kids and their grandkids can all collectively enjoy. Yeah, everybody's coming down. You know, being in the second home market, we're catering also to high-end vacation rentals. Um, you know, you've got homes that'll sell for five, six million dollars that are doing five hundred to six hundred thousand dollars a year in gross annual income, which is also pretty impressive. Yeah. So this high end seems to be majority second home. What is the everyday market? Is there a market like everyday families, like your family, your friends, people you go to school with? Like, is there that? Does that exist where you are? Yeah, there it, it does. I mean, still the median home, median home price, even for a primary residence, is a million plus. So you know the the cost of living is it's certainly not median from the United States standpoint, but for a coastal area, if you compared us to South beach or even coconut Grove, like you spoke about earlier, uh, I'd say it's very affordable. Yeah. So it's, it's very affordable. 
and you guys are northwest, so you're not South Florida. So it's like, uh, the people I that usually talk about Florida from LA. Like, yeah, they just figure you're going to be in my, the Miami Coconut Grove, South Beach, yeah. or Palm, or Boca. But this is a whole different animal. You're going to hear yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes sir, no sir. It's it's still it's it's the South. Right. We, uh, it's so funny, you know. Nashville has also benefited from an influx uh, from California specifically. So is Austin, Texas, Dallas. Those are our biggest feeder markets. So, you know, we're kind of like that pass through. Um, You know, if you drive around Dallas, for example, you'll see these little blue stickers. They say 30A, they stand for 30A, which it's a 28 mile stretch of beach here that, um, you know, most most of the time you'll drive down and you'll see a country music star walking down the beach or, um, you know, maybe a, a celebrity sighting here and there. So how's the surf there? I know Brian's always talking about going surfing at lunch and yeah. before work and after work. What's the surf like? Is there surf right there or do you have to travel to get to find it? No, there's definitely surf here. Um, I mean, you know, we're we're more hurricane surfers, right? So in the summer, our beach will be flat for the most part, except for in the afternoon, we get some chop. But when a storm starts to roll through or you, know, you got a, if you have a big temperature swing from hot to cold, you'll start to get some decent surf. I mean, it's OK. It's definitely not Malibu. Uh, we're not known for our surfing, but you can kite surf, surf. I think we do more paddle boarding than anything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'll have to if I ever visit, I'll have to check out the waves. So right now you have a team you're running. How much of your time is dedicated towards running a business and a team and managing people? versus running your business, which with new development and resale, that alone, as I know, it's 24 seven in itself. Or do you have people in place that are managing the team? How does that work? And how do you, you know, how do you find time for the sales, the managing the business, and then your personal life and your family? Balance, so to speak, whether it's impossible to find balance, but I always like to talk to people. How do they navigate that? It's funny, I mean, balance is, what we always strive for, but I feel so imbalanced all the time, even with all of the the scheduling. And I mean, I schedule everything down to my workouts and my date nights. So, um, you know, I've got a, a young family. My wife and I've been married eight years. We've got two young kids. I've got a three-year-old daughter and a seven-month-old baby boy. Oh, wow. You're in the twilight zone still with the young ones. You know, I've been so fortunate. Our kids sleep 12 hours a night and uh, my wife is also a saint. So we're 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 just fortunate uh, for that. And we also have good help. My family's close by. But when we found out we were pregnant with my daughter, it was the first year that I had I'd just broken the hundred million dollar uh, barrier of sales. It was 2017, um, you know, top agent in this market. And I knew that if I kept going at that pace, I wouldn't have any time for my kids. I would have no time to help my wife. It would be high and by. And that was not the life I wanted for, for my children or for myself. I mean, I, I realized I needed to make a transition and I had an assistant, but I really didn't have any other help beyond that. And that's what really birthed this idea of putting together a team. Um, I wasn't necessarily somebody who wanted to manage people. I mean, I'm very inward focused uh, naturally and a self-starter. Um, so I, I didn't really know how, how was I going to coach somebody else and, and what was I going to look like? And a lot of it came together pretty naturally. What I found that I gravitated towards is I needed to find people that were not only going to add value to my team, but they were going to be people that I was able to pour value into as well. You know, as we look at Spears Group as a whole, we get applications all the time from other agents who want to join our group. But 
it's so rare that we ever hire because my goal for, for the group in general is how are we going to balance value? You know, if I've got 10 agents that, you know, are on this Zillow rotation and that's the, their only source of leads, it's, it's really not ideal. Um, you know, I wanted to be in a rainmaking position, but I didn't necessarily want to, um, you know, grow a 50 person team. Um, and that started some of my, some of my goals have changed over time. Uh, our current team is eight salespeople, including myself. I've got two full-time admin, uh, that service both myself and the team. And then I also have Brian Fairweather, who I call the CEO of our team. And Brian was hired out of, um, a necessity for organization. You know, as a salesperson, I'm probably one of the most disorganized human beings on the planet. Uh, and what's interesting about that is that I had to hire to my weakness, like my assistants, the, the, the most organized, fluid, consistent individual. And I'm the one who's like bouncing off the walls on the phone 24 seven. And so I needed to find people who complimented me and, and that's how we ended up building our team. And I've been so excited and happy having other people in the room. I used to think that I was, you know, a lone wolf. I enjoyed hunting and killing as we call it in, uh, in the real estate world. And what's brought me more joy is seeing other people succeed. You know, see my brother who's 23 years old, he did $40 million in business last year. And, and, you know, he's married, newly married, has a baby on the way. I mean, to me, those are, that's so much more fulfilling than anything. Um, and so being able to put the right processes, the right people in place to implement a process, that's been the fun part. Yeah. Well, look, there, there's a lot of good lessons in that and, uh, delegation is very hard for agents because we are, we start as like a, a hunting lion on our own eat what you kill and it's hard to break from that mindset in business structure to delegating and and then it's hard to have the self-awareness which you have to say hey what am i weak at what do i not want to do and what am i not good at i need to find somebody for that so that that stuff doesn't bog me down and i feel like even at this level of my career in this stage i'm always recalibrating that and always trying to the tug and pull of I need to delegate more. Don't let, don't be micromanaging because it, the micromanaging lets it keeps you from growing, right? It keeps you from growing. And uh, I know having someone like Brian is huge. That's uh, you know, that's how we met, but Brian or someone who's smart, who can run the whole shit like a business and free you up to focus on what you want to do. Uh, it's huge. And obviously it's paid off. I mean, you guys, I just saw your, uh, congrats, by the way, Inman yesterday as I'm opening it up, popped up your huge article about you in Inman, so everyone, everyone should check that out. But your numbers are, are you know, off the charts. Were you, did you do 250 or 275 in volume last year? And you're saying you have that already half year? I mean, th this is off the charts type of business, and it's a young team, and, you know, you guys are young families, and you're giving back to all these people. What an incredible incredible uh, business you've built for yourself. So what are some lessons and some things that you've learned now that you're at this stage of your career? And obviously you still have, so, I'm sure, so much more growth and uh, you know plans ahead as you're such a young man, but what are some of the lessons you've learned that you, if you could sort of you know, distill down some key things? Yeah, well, for me in particular, you, you, you kind of hit a nail on the head earlier in terms of micromanagement and, um, you know, self-awareness is always a good thing, but when you can't let go of things, you can never scale. 
So for me in particular, I had to let go of a lot in order to, to grow. And it's the scariest thing. I mean, it's literally like letting go of a bar. And, you know, you want to control it all. I mean, down to the way that my contracts were watermarked. I mean, it was it was obsessive. Um, and, and and like and for me, even today, like, you know, I'll see something my team does and I'll go, oh, you know, I, w- I really would have done it this way. And then there's this incredible response to it. And so, you know, being able to step back and work on your business, not in your business is not a concept that most agents even think about or understand, like they're just notes to the grindstone. What's going to make me the most money? What are my dollar productive activities? Those are all great things. But uh, what I realize is I'm not going to be that, that, you know, this basically typical real estate agent who works until they're 75 years old and spends every dollar that they make on, you know, their, their latest and greatest clothing or cars. You know, what we've tried to do at, at Spears Group in particular is, you know, take take a lot of these incredible sales that we've done and, and parlay it to more sales business, but also development business. Um, I've invested into a uh, luxury asset management firm, which is a big deal here on our coast. And so, you know, being able to, to invest dollars in a different manner than just uh, the status quo. Yeah. Get your money to work in other ways. And I think that's another huge lesson with agents, so many agents who even done well, uh, you know, haven't broken out of just making money on commissions. How about investing in real estate and other things? There's other sources of, of income and that's that's really key too. And by the way, I think it's two of the hardest things to do, uh, you've noted are investing in real estate as a real estate agent. That's really hard to do because you're always reinvesting in the business and you're always worried about your expenses to be able to break money away, save and invest is hard. And to delegate when you're a one man show, when you build your business, and you're one person, it's really hard to let go and start delegating. So those two things that you've mentioned, I think are huge for all agents. So tell me a little bit about what you see, uh, uh, what you see for yourself for the next five to 10 years in your business. If you can look in your crystal ball, uh, you have a lot of, it looks like you got deve- development, some property management, brokerage. What do you see for this? And, and are there other things that you're looking to do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the one thing that I'm always looking to do is be more and more and more focused on organization and processes so that I can streamline a sales business. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time out in the Vail markets. I mentioned Ty Stockton earlier. Um, we uh, we're developing a house out in Beaver Creek now, and spending more time in Colorado and in another second home market shows me the parallels between ours. And uh, especially with the pandemic, the way that people are migrating, uh, trying to get in front of them. You know, like even South Florida markets. I've seen folks in South Florida spend more time up in Highlands and Casher, North Carolina, which. For the East Coast, used to be a big influx from like Charleston up to New York, as opposed to to this new South Florida crowd. And you know, just trying to understand where where are pe- where are people going? Because where people are going is where I want to be. Um, and from the development side, how can I get in front of uh, a desirability in a certain market? I mean, especially with this low inventory, um, skyrocketing, and almost impossible to 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 execute building um, timelines and and products. You know, how can we get ahead of that curve? And so for Spears Group, I'd like to continue to grow that, uh, especially here along Northwest Florida's coast. Um, the development side is definitely something that we're invested in, um, down to different technologies. I mean, I know you work at Compass and Compass is uh, focused on technology. I think 
as a millennial, especially the next wave of real estate integration is more and more and more technology. I mean, we sold more property over the, I think our team in particular has done almost 450 million over the last 12 consecutive months in closed business. I'd say at least 25, a third of that is, is our sales to buyers who've never seen the properties. They're all. Third of that is they've never sight unseen virtual buying. How about that? We're not, we're not <laughs> just a million dollar sale, multi, multi, multi million dollar. Luxury sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, incredible. How do we continue to facilitate that? How do we, how do we, you know, purvey a culture of um, being more comfortable in making that type of investment remotely? Um, you know, as, as I continue to integrate on this guy that I've had since 2007, uh, it to make my life easier. And what easier. was that? I never seen one of those before. <laughs> I use a pager. I use a pager. Beep 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 beep. On, no, I don't. I don't. But uh, I wish I did sometimes and not have this thing ringing. So any crazy stories or fun stories that you can share with us, whether it's someone buying sight unseen or uh, I don't know, it could be anything fun, scary, crazy, anything that you're allowed to share uh, as a real estate person, uh, anything come to mind? I have a couple interesting stories. So um, I think one of my favorite showings I ever went on is I picked up a customer who I, I had had previous experience with before. Um, they were in a promise, prominent political position and had a secret service detail that I was somewhat unaware of. Uh, it, it took me a minute to kind of realize who in the world was following us, why there were guys in flannel uh, Hawaiian shirts that were, um, you know, talking into their into their hands. Yeah. Maybe I was like, is that a beeper? What is that? Uh, but that was, I mean, that was bizarre and, and exciting at the same time. Uh, but, you know, it's funny, the people that you meet and the folks that you get to interact with uh, makes every day an exciting new day. I mean, even like today being on this podcast is so fun. Uh, it's the reason that we do this and that we enjoy it so much. So that's one of the more interesting showing stories that I've had is having a secret service detail everywhere I go. I'm like, do I need to like make an extra printout of MLS sheets for these guys? I mean, what, what, what do they need to know? And are we allowed to get too far away, too close? How's this going to work? Yeah. They probably bugged your car. I know. I'm still worried about that. <laughs> so what do you, what do you do for fun? Do you travel? Do you, you golf? You surf? Tell me what's, what's Jonathan's time when he's not doing real estate and which sounds like it's very little time. You know, when you're not sleeping, you're probably doing a lot of real estate. I get it. I'm the same way, but like, what do you like? Do you travel? Do you have trips planned with the family? What do you guys do when it's not real estate time? Yeah. So for me, spending time with my kids and my wife is, is my off time, my downtime. What we love to do as a family is usually travel uh, pre-pandemic. And of course, I had a baby seven, or my wife did, seven months ago. So we- right. You had a corona baby. That's unbelievable. My wife will tell you, though, that we uh, did not have a corona baby because the world was not shut down when we conceived. However, close enough, it counts. Uh, but we definitely- um, I heard Corona didn't go to Florida. It stopped. It only stayed in California, apparently. It didn't go to Texas and Florida. I don't know how that worked. but No, we would get funny looks if we had a mask on. It's, it's definitely the twilight zone. Like flying from here to Colorado is com- two completely different worlds. But Do you go to Colorado a lot? Are you skiing? In the- 
Yeah. So, yeah, we're going in a couple of weeks to Aspen, and we try to go once or twice a year. Uh, it's it's beautiful yeah. to get away to Colorado. It's such a nice yeah, part of yeah. the country. You're two hours away from us. Um, the other thing that we like to do is go to Europe. My wife grew up in Germany. We've got family on the Mosul River and um, the mountain biking. Talk about mountain biking in Aspen. I love it. Mountain biking in Europe's amazing. We uh, we try to do that as often as we can. Hopefully next summer we'll be able to get back. Well, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of trips that have been shelved over the last year and a half that now people are starting to starting to get back on the planes. It seems like everyone I talk to now is traveling this summer and so happy to be out. And I am too. I mean, I'm thrilled to get to get going and we got kids in camp and we're traveling. We're getting out there. But uh, anything else you want to share with us? This has been great. There's so many nuggets here and, you know, you're such a accomplished young guy. and You, you are wiser beyond your years, man. That's unbelievable. So, Brian didn't hype you high enough. Brian should have really prepared me for dealing with someone at such a high level. I mean, he, he hyped you up, but I'm like, you even surpassed the hype. So I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> I'm just honored to be here and uh, make a new friend and you, Danny. And what I'd say, you know, we keep talking about age and, and to me, age is just a number, whether you're, you know, at the older end of a spectrum or you feel like you're at the younger end of a spectrum. What I found is when people used to say, hey, you know, you look a little too young or they'd They'd insinuate that maybe I did not have enough experience to to help them transact. I f it pushed me to focus even more on my knowledge basis because whether my voice sounded a little too high or you know my baby face when my beard shaved off looked a little too fresh. Yeah, I was wondering about that. If you shaved, you are going to look your age. <laughs> mm -mm. No, 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 no. I got to make sure I have at least one little gray hair poking through too. But you could do the boy band look. You got that face. You could just you do the yeah. boys. You know, you're in. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, it's funny. I've, I've shown property to to some members of the Backstreet Boys. And I remember you thinking. You look I'm, like you're the Backstreet Boys. Have you shaved? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> exactly. Get your hair up, bleach it, it's a couple group, get your groove on. You're the Backstreet Boys. Oh, yeah. No, look, I, I love the Backstreet Boys. Those guys are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, I appreciate you joining, joining us. I'm, I'm glad we finally did this. I look forward to connecting either... Florida, California, maybe Colorado would be great to, to connect. And, you know, man, I'm going to keep watching you. I imagine by the next couple of years, you're going to be number one in the nation. So I'm, I'm happy to have known you and get to know you better. And I appreciate you sharing with us and say hi to Brian. And I'll take him. I'll take him down surfing, but he certainly will kill me golfing. So we'll have to do a competition where we do both. I think he'll have a blast and enjoy that. I'll definitely tell him you said hello. All right, Jonathan, thank you for joining us and uh, look forward to chatting with you soon, man. Thank you, Danny.